Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will show us wonderful things from your word this morning. And we pray that you will help it to live for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We've reached uh, number five in thinking about Israel's songs and wisdom. And we're continuing in Proverbs with this portrayal of God's person in working clothes. From chapter 10 onwards, the book of, and admitting the last chapter, the Proverbs has no two verses connected by a continuing thought. I suppose just occasionally does a topic extend over several verses, but often they're all individual verses. If you like, you could think of a children's play area. Sometimes there's a big container full of plastic balls. There are reds and blues and greens and yellows and so on. They're all mixed up together. They're all unconnected. Um, each ball is an individual and children are invited to get in and play amongst them. Well, Proverbs is really a connection like that. Although the verses aren't connected, the same thoughts will occur again and again. Rich and poor, the diligent and the lazy, the honest and the cheating, the angry or self-controlled, kings, their responsibility and influence, as well as the wise, the fool and the simple that we thought of yesterday. <clears throat> and incidentally, Proverbs was a, a favorite book of African men when we first lived in Kenya back in the 60s. Bible translators uh, told us about it because many of the older men had only had four years of education or seven if they were lucky. And their culture was oral. And uh, they're passed down in families from one generation to the next. And Proverbs were an important part of their culture. They weren't used to dealing with large blocks of text, uh, but they could savor individual Proverbs. And apparently the Bible translator said often, Proverbs became a favorite book with them as they take an individual proverb and think about it um, and maybe compare it with their own culture. And perhaps we do the same. We're not given any indication by the people that uh, chose our various readings why the planners picked out three chapters 16 to 18 of Proverbs. I, I must confess I've, I have looked online to try and find out um, what their thoughts were, but I couldn't find anything. But I have some comments this morning that I hope, if you're not really into Proverbs, that it might whet your appetite to look at the Proverbs more closely. So most of what I say is based on those three chapters, although I do go further afield in the book as well. The first thing I think we notice is that life and human nature are the same. Even though the book is more than uh, 2,500 years old, uh, generally it's not remote from the human nature and the human life as we know it today. The external circumstances are the same, but the, the inside things are still there. Take, for instance, what it says about fools, and some of these things we might have a wry smile about. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. 
A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Never come across that? A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And more seriously, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. And this is a picture of a man that goes his own foolish and rebellious way and in the end blames the Lord. You've never seen that. And then there are proverbs about sorrow and heartache. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? Or there's this one that really understands sadness. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. There are proverbs about keeping good relationships as well. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the inmost parts. Hmm? A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. And those last two proverbs actually occur again in the book. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. And then, Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Good advice for everyone in our day, isn't it? And especially for Christians in their local church. Life and human nature are much the same. Then in Proverbs we see too the Lord's involvement in everyday life. He's not remote or disconnected from our experience. For instance, there are things that God detests, dishonest scales, lying lips. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. The Lord detests acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A false witness, sorry, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God sees it all. And we should detest these things too, of course. And then God tests us. All a man's ways seem innocent to him but motives are weighed by the Lord. Very similar to that, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Or there's the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. As David knew, God is looking for truth, for integrity in the inner parts. Concerning those whose lives are in danger, if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Mm. God tests us. God sees us. 
God detests, God tests, and God overrules. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The Lord works out everything for his own ends. Reminds us of what Paul said, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Sometimes we're puzzled at what the Lord does, but we can be thankful for his good and wise overruling. So you see, there's much that we can connect with in Proverbs. Then we see that the New Testament writers liked Proverbs, they valued it. James quotes it, reproving those traders who made plans with no reference to God. He quotes, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may be bring. That wasn't original to James, he quoting that from Proverbs. James and Peter both quote, the Lord mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. And Peter has another quote, if the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. And Peter and Paul, I think, would have had uh, this one in mind. He who covers over an offense promotes love. But he who, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. They were familiar with Proverbs. But I just want to pick out one proverb before we finish. Uh, it's from uh, chapter 18, one of the chapters allocated to us. One of the new songs we sing today sometimes is... Um, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And one of the verses is, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In the days of the judges, the cities had walls around them, but they also had a tower to which the inhabitants could run for safety. Jerusalem had towers. And of course, in later centuries, there were castles, and each castle at its keep the same idea. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower, says one translation, strong enough for anything. And running into it equals our trust, our relying on him for protection and safety. And God's people then and today run to him, rely on him, trust in him, when we're first converted, we run to him for forgiveness and we are delivered from condemnation. We're delivered from God's wrath. In our ongoing spiritual life, we need his help and protection. We can't live the Christian life without him. The world, the devil, our old nature are too strong for us. We can't withstand them. We run to the tower for his grace and strength. When physical life is threatened by illness or persecution, we place ourselves in his supreme care. 
David said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Even death cannot defeat us because in death, in Jesus' death, death is defeated already. We trust the Lord and we are safe. Or to change the picture, the metaphor, nothing can pluck us out of his hand. Are we right in doing this? Are we wise? The name of the Lord is our guarantee. His character, his goodness. And I make no apology for reminding you again of the way God appeared to Moses. He said, I will make my goodness pass before you. And then it says, he proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. His character is our guarantee. There's an oldie that we sing these days, only it's got new clothes. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. But some of us will remember what we used to sing in our youth. I have a saviour who's mighty to keep, mighty to keep, mighty to keep. I have a saviour who's mighty to keep, mighty to keep evermore. Remember the next verse? I have a saviour who's mighty to keep one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days a week. I have a saviour who's mighty to keep, mighty to keep evermore. He's our strong power. We rely on him. So I hope I've encouraged you to look at Psalms again, look at Proverbs again. For several years, I followed a Bible reading scheme, reading the Bible through in a whole, in a year. And this scheme led us to read Proverbs every month for the whole year. And it's remarkable how familiar you can get with them and uh, remarkable what wisdom you can see in them. So we're much like this ancient people really, aren't we? In our feelings and experience, the Lord is still involved with our lives, testing us, guiding and overruling, and he is our strong tower.